today's scripture reading is Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this coming Wednesday is Inauguration Day, and it's uh, one of those days I think this year serves as a special reminder. It's one of those things uh, where we celebrate the, the peaceful transfer of power, and that's something, another in the long list of things over the course of this past year that we are reminded that maybe we should not have taken for granted. Um, so many of the things that the pandemic has taken from us, being able to go wherever we want to, uh, not have a mask on our face, being able to see our family, our friends, being able to come to church and worship and sing. There's so many things this past year that we realized that we have taken for granted that, that we shouldn't have, but that are, are markers of God's grace and providence when we're able to do them. And, and, and Inauguration Day marks that great miracle, um, the peaceful transfer of power from one administration to the next, and oftentimes from one party um, to the other. And, and of course, I'm making some assumptions that the my pillow guy is going to come in at the last minute and uh, with any shenanigans. But leaving that aside, we're going we're gonna to experience that this, this week. And, and what, what we read in our passage this morning in our scripture today from Luke chapter 4, this is really, a, it's another inauguration day. This is the inauguration of Jesus's public ministry in the gospel of Luke. And there's three inaugural moments in this passage that we're going to look at. There's the inaugural scripture that Jesus chooses. There's his inaugural sermon. And then there's his inaugural scandal that follows on the heel of that, the heels of that as well. But before I, I turn to those, I actually don't want to pass too quickly from uh, the meaning of Inauguration Day, and especially inaugural addresses in, in the history 
of our country. Because see, these are some of the most kind of poignant, powerful, memorable uh, moments uh, in our country's history. And I, and I do think they provide a, a helpful analog for thinking about what Jesus' inaugural moment uh, meant, meant for him. And, and, and so at their best, these, these speeches, these inaugural addresses, they, they capture something, they, they crystallize in some way the present moment um, of what's happening in the country. And they also sort of set what's happening in the country in the broader history of the nation, and they speak to our highest values and, and our highest ideals as well. And they chart a course um, and set a tone for, for what at least the president delivering that message hopes will happen over the course of the next four years. And so in researching for the sermon, it was kind of fun. You know, I'm a history buff. I'm a history nerd. So I got to read several modern uh, presidential uh, inaugural addresses from, from FDR to John F. Kennedy to Ronald Reagan to uh, George uh, Herbert Walker Bush to, to Bill Clinton to Barack Obama and Donald Trump himself. And you read through these and, and there's some lines that stick out. We know them. Right, FDR in, in 1933, he's being inaugurated, and he says this famous line at the, at the depths of the Great Depression. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And then there's uh, JFK in, in, in what I think is probably the, the second greatest inaugural address in the country's history. You know, here he is. He's speaking um, at the, you know, maybe the heights of the Cold War and this clash between East and West. And America has emerged as, as this, you know, global power uh, facing the Soviet Union. And America is, is prosperous. And, and he represents kind of the new fresh face of America. And, and, he, and he has some memorable lines in there where he says, you know, the torch has been passed to a new generation. And, and then he says in this kind of global struggle, he says that America is going to, you know, pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe for liberty. And then, of course, those, those famous uh, words that he said, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And it's hard to not go into kind of my JFK impersonation, which is more of a Mayor Quimby voice when I'm doing that. But, but it, it's such a memorable line. We could hear it in that, you know, New England um, affected accent of his and then there's Ronald Reagan standing at the heart, you know, kind of dawning of a new era, uh, kind of a rejection of the New Deal era uh, that had come before and had, had held for so long. He says, you know, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. And inaugurates the Reagan era. And Bill Clinton said, there's nothing wrong with America that can't be cured by what is right with America. And four years ago, Donald Trump declared after summarizing, you know, the, the, the forgotten man and the, the post-industrial wreckage of, of, of America, he said, this American carnage stops right here and right now. And so all of those statements are in their own way, memorable, poignant, powerful, evocative. And they capture something about, about the mood of the country at that time and about the agendas of the presidents who uttered them. But all of these pale in comparison. Not just, you know, they pale in comparison. Everything pales in comparison um, to what Jesus did and what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 in our passage. But they pale in comparison to what is perhaps the greatest speech in American history, and that is Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address. And when Lincoln gave his inaugural address, it was just 700 words. It took maybe six to eight minutes for him to give. 
But what it lacks in length, it makes up for in its depth. And it's actually, I think, maybe the greatest work of public theology in our country's history. As the great emancipator, Lincoln, reflects on, on what the terrible cost of the Civil War meant for what was ostensibly a, a Christian nation. And I just want to read for us just the last two paragraphs of it, because I think it helpfully leads us into what Jesus has to say this morning. And, and, and these last two paragraphs are worth reflecting on, too, as Matt mentioned, tomorrow's Martin Luther King Day. And, and, and almost exactly 100 years after, um, you know, uh, Abraham Lincoln delivered this speech, uh, Dr. King would give his, his, his famous I Have a Dream speech on the steps of the memorial dedicated to this man, the great emancipator himself. You know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And here's what Lincoln said. He's a one-eighth of the whole population, speaking here about the, the context of the Civil War, were colored slaves, not generally distributed over the Union, but localized in the southern part of it. These slaves constituted a peculiar and powerful interest. All knew that this interest was somehow the cause of the war. To strengthen, perpetuate, and extend this interest was the object for which the insurgents would rend the Union, even by war, while the government claimed no right to do more than to restrict the territorial enlargement of it. Neither party expected for the war the magnitude or the duration which it has already attained. Neither anticipated that the cause of the conflict might cease with or even before the conflict itself should cease. Each looked for an easier triumph and a result less fundamental and astounding. Both read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of another man's faces, but let us judge not, lest we be judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that the offenses come, but woe unto the man by whom the offense cometh. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which in the providence of God must needs come, but which having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove, and that he gives to both north and south this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense came, Shall we therein discern any departure from those divine attributes which believers in a living God always ascribe to him? Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet, if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled up by the bondsman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with the nations. We hear it. Lincoln's words here are saturated with Scripture, with the words of Jesus. 
And his address was, was meant to, to begin the work of healing the nation by setting the war within the context of God's judgment, not against just the South, but against the whole for the original sin of slavery. And Lincoln's suggestion that, that perhaps all the blood shared in the war is the only way that the nation can atone for the blood that was shed with the, uh, drawn by the lash upon the backs of millions of enslaved people of African descent. And so Lincoln says, he, he suggests powerfully and movingly that this reckoning and this judgment from God was necessary for the country to move forward and to fulfill the great promises found in our founding documents. Lincoln got up there and he wasn't going to tell his audience what he thought they wanted to hear. We're the good guys. We're beating the bad guys. They deserve everything that they're going to get and more vengeance and victory will be ours. He refused to say that but instead implicated them in what had happened and told them what he thought they needed to hear so there'd be no sense of false pride, no sense of false innocence or, or false sense of superiority. All have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, Jesus is uh, inaugural. We can make an analogy there in that he situates himself within Israel's sacred history. He draws those threads together to himself and he sets forth his agenda, and, and he refuses to offer his audience any sense of false comfort. And so it's with that in mind that I want to turn to Jesus' inaugural scripture, his sermon, and his scandal. First, the scripture. So Luke tells us that Jesus went back to his hometown, Nazareth, in Galilee, and, and, and he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. So let us just stop there and, and, and keep in mind, Jesus was a regular church attender, a church attender. So if we want to be like him, if we want to follow him, we've got to do what he did. And so, you know, WWJD, go to church. So Jesus had already gained by this point a, a, a reputation as a, a great teacher and expounder of the scriptures. And so when he went back home to his home synagogue and attended the service, he was given the opportunity, the honor to read scripture and to preach. Now, we don't know actually that much of what a first century synagogue service looked like, but we know a few things. And one of them is, is that uh, each and every Sabbath in the synagogue, there was a kind of a lectionary they followed. There was a prescribed set reading that would come from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. So, so you know, it was, you knew what you were going to read that day from the Torah. But then it was kind of a preacher's choice. Uh, there would be a reading from the prophets, and, 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 and the person who was reading uh, from, from the scroll would read it in Hebrew, but it, it's not the same as Aramaic, so they'd have to translate it, what they were reading, for the people who were listening. And then also, as they were translating, they would give an exposition, an explanation, and, and kind of a sermon, as they were saying what the text meant for the people who are listening to it. And so Jesus, you know, we know too that you, uh, that you stood up to read and you sat down to preach. And so Jesus was given the scroll from the book of Isaiah. And it was up to him. He had the choice. Which passage am I going to read and translate um, and explain for the people who are in the congregation? So it's very telling. He, he had a choice. He chose Isaiah 61. This is a passage about the servant of the Lord, this figure in Isaiah, uh, uh, the Lord's servant who, who suffers um, and, and, and who is ultimately vindicated. And, and this figure of the servant of the Lord is this very mysterious figure in Isaiah, but, but so much of who Jesus was comes from this figure. And so the servant of the Lord is talking about what he came to do. And, and it's extremely telling that Jesus would choose this for his inaugural scripture. 
It tells us about he, how he understood the purpose of his ministry. And if I were to summarize, you know, what is the theme that we see in this Isaiah 61 passage? It comes in the last words that Jesus uh, shares when he says, uh, you know, that he has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus sees his ministry as inaugurating this year of the Lord's favor. And that's not just an generic term, but it's a term that goes back all the way to, to Leviticus chapter 25, which is suggestive, not just positive, but suggestive that that might have been the Torah reading for that day. But in Leviticus chapter 25, it's, it's this passage about, um, about the great year of Jubilee. And it's something that occurred every 50 years. And so every 50 years, what would happen? It'd be the year of Jubilee. And so every debt would be canceled, wiped away. And every person who, who had found themselves in a position of being enslaved or indentured servanthood, they, they would be released from their service. They'd be freed. And, and if your family had sold off your ancestral lands uh, to a landowner, um, a landlord, you would get your land back. And it's kind of this big, you know, reset. Control all delete on everything that had gotten all messed up in the world. This wonderful, beautiful reset. Forgiveness. The, the, the decks are cleared. Your, your slate is wiped clean. And can you imagine, if you have any debt, you know, what that would be like? You hear, okay, you go check your balance on your student loans. Zeroed out. You go to pay off your, your, your credit card or make maybe the minimum payment. Zero. Nothing is due. Your car loan. Done personal loan. Finished. Your mortgage. You don't have one anymore. And so what Jesus is saying when, he, when he's picking the scripture is that what he is about, what his ministry is about, what he's come to do is about, it's about canceling debts. Forgiving. And setting this world to rights. And so this is good news if you're in debt. It's good news if you're in prison, if you're captive or enslaved. And, and, and debt and slavery in the ancient world were bound so closely together because one of the ways if you found yourself in a position of having a debt that you couldn't pay off is you would make yourself an indentured servant or someone in your family to pay off that debt, to serve that off. It's good news if you're poor. It's good news if you're oppressed, you know, if, so, if someone's boot is on your neck. Jesus is declaring that, that his ministry is going to be akin to what happened in the American South after the Emancipation Proclamation, but then ultimately the end of the Civil War with the abolition of, of, of slavery. You know, you get to go around and you get to tell people who, who were enslaved, no, you're free. You're free. No one owns you anymore. Nothing owns you anymore. You're liberated. Your, your captivity is over. Jesus' inaugural sermon, Scripture says this, that he is the servant of the Lord who's promised in Isaiah, who's come to declare God's return and God's kingdom, which means that this great jubilee has begun, which is great news, as he says, for the poor and the enslaved and the oppressed and the blind and the captive. So that's his inaugural scripture. But then we get his inaugural sermon. And so he, you know, he reads the scroll, rolls it out, finds it, and then, and then slowly shuts it. And, and we get this sense. And Luke tells us that all eyes were fixed on him. Okay. He just read it. And there was something about the way that Jesus read this. There was something about the way he taught. There was something about his presence that led the people know to expect something in that moment, something profound, something powerful. And so all eyes are watching him as he sets it down and he sits down. They're on pins and needle waiting to hear what he has to say. And then Jesus gives what must be the, the shortest sermon in the history of sermons. One sentence. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
And while it's short, it's powerful. It packs a punch. And I think the power in this sermon is found in one single word, and that word is today. Jesus was telling his audience, he's he's telling us, he's telling everyone who hears this, that God's jubilee, his forgiveness, his freedom, his healing, his inspiration are available today, right now. And today is a word that is so powerful, and it's a word that so many of us need to hear because so many of us do not live in today. We live in yesterday or we live in someday. And we get stuck in yesterday. The mistakes that we've made in the past, the sins we've committed, the ways that we've been wronged or wronged others, the regrets that we have, the opportunities that have passed us by or that we've squandered, what we used to have, who we used to be, what we used to hope for. You know, yesterday is about everything that we've lost. Or we get hung up on someday. We hear the message of Jesus and we think, okay, yep, 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 that sounds good. Someday I'll believe in him. Someday I'll change my life. Someday I'll pray. Someday I'll, I'll read scripture. Someday I'll be generous. Someday I'll find a good church. Someday I'll join a life group. Someday I'll spend more time with my family. And, you know, someday I'm going to start eating right. And someday I'm going to exercise. And someday I'll I'll reconnect with that friend that I haven't talked to in a while. And someday I'll I'll stand up for what I believe in and stand against injustice. You know, someday uh, uh, becomes never. The good news in Jesus' inaugural sermon, though, is that eternal life, it doesn't start someday. It's available today. And so today means that we can let go of yesterday. And today means we can stop pretending like someday is going to come. And today means that we can begin jubilee life with Jesus. Right at this moment. Right now. We don't have to wait for someday to come. You know, we, need, we don't need to wait for Wednesday for some great transformation to take place in our country for the inauguration of a, of a new administration. You know, Biden's going to be sworn in as president, but guess what? Right now, already, Jesus is king. So we can say, today, Lord, today, 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 I trust in you. Today, I'm going to start walking with you. Today, I'm going to start doing what I should do and not doing what I shouldn't do. Today I can be forgiven. Today I can be freed. Today I can repent. Today I can change. Today I can be generous. Today I can be a better husband, a better father, a a better son, a better brother, a better pastor, a better leader, a better neighbor, a better citizen, a better man. All of that can start today. It all starts today. And with Jesus, that's a message we urgently need to hear. It's one we urgently need to believe. It's one we urgently need to share because so many people in the world are, are, are either, you know, stuck in yesterday or, or they're just listlessly hoping for, for a someday that's never going to come when they need to start living for Jesus for today. All right, so that's his inaugural scripture, his inaugural sermon. And all too briefly, I'm just going to touch on this inaugural scandal because we can't miss it. You know, because Jesus gives this message. Wow, people hear it. It's powerful. They speak well of him. Local boy makes good. And then a few verses later, we have what is essentially a lynch mob forming to throw him off a cliff. In the words of, I think it's Ron Burgundy, who said, well, you know, that escalated quickly. What happened? How did it go from, you know, all sorts of like, yeah, this is great. I can't believe we just got to hear this to let's kill him. 
How did that happen? Jesus was not content when he gave the sermon and people heard it and they thought, wow, that's great. He wasn't content to let his hearers misunderstand him. And what they thought was, wow, this is good news for us. And it's bad news for the people we don't like. You know, it's good news for them as, as Jews, bad news for the Gentiles. Jubilee for them, the good guys. Judgment Day, and Jesus leaves the Judgment Day part out of the Isaiah passage. It's going to be Judgment Day. They knew it was there for uh, those people, the bad guys. And Jesus, instead, he upsets, as he always does, their sense of self-righteousness and self-satisfaction. Jesus says, no, my ministry is like the days of Elijah and Elisha, when there was so much wickedness in the land and so much wickedness in the life of God's people that God's most powerful deeds were done outside, for the outsider, for the non-Jewish people, outside the bounds of Israel. And so Jesus is saying, you know, to the people listening to the sermon, don't write yourself into the story of salvation history as the good, as the good guys, as the heroes. Instead, maybe you should think of yourself right now as, as the villains. And don't consider yourself the healthy, but the sick. And don't think of yourselves as the oppressed, but as the oppressors. And that's what Jesus always challenges us to do. And we hate it because we think generally we're, we're, like, we're, we're pretty good people. And we need Jesus, just a little help to do just a little bit better, and we're good. But those people, those other people, they're the ones who really, got, Jesus is going to have to set them straight. God's going to have to set them straight. They're miserable sinners. We're pretty good. But Jesus' message to us is that apart from him, we are completely and hopelessly and utterly and totally lost. And we can either accept that and and, and believe in his amazing grace, which is incredible good news, or we can reject that and try to cast him out of our lives. It's, it's one or the other. And so, beloved, I, I close with these words that today is inauguration day. Don't let it pass you by. Do not miss your chance. Don't regret what happened yesterday. Don't wait around for someday. Today is the day of our jubilee. Today is the day of our freedom. Today is the day of amazing grace. Today is the day to, to, to declare Jesus is king, Jesus is Lord, and to pledge our allegiance to him. Today is the day to partner with him in his work of, of reconciliation that we all need, that our families need, that our city needs, that our country needs, that our world needs. Because what, what is needed most as we think about Inauguration Day, what, what that means when we think about this inauguration day in Luke chapter 4, is that what we need is not some kind of restoration of a, of, a, of a Christian nation, you know, that never existed. But what we do need is a nation that is full of Christians willing to deny themselves, to take up their crosses, and to follow him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please pray with me.